Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hello, baby. Welcome to the Smart People Podcast. Sit back, grab a drink, tune in your brain. Ask not what your country can do for you. This nation will rise up. Happy New Year, everyone. Thanks for joining us in 2012. We're excited about an awesome year. We hope you guys have big plans for the upcoming year and you are ready for your New Year's resolution and you're going to lose that weight or buy that sports car or I don't know. What lose else? that weight? What are you trying to say, man? I'm just saying that that's what people do. That's their thing. But anyways, um, thanks for being with us. Another thing we want to say is thank you for all those who participated in the Amazon thing. Yes, thank you so, so much. It was cool. Um, we had a stellar year for, or a stellar month for December with the Christmas purchases and all those things. And uh, we appreciate that because we know you go out of your way to do that at least a little bit. And just as a reminder, in case this is your first time or something, all you have to do is go to our website, smartpeoplepodcast.com. There is a banner up at the top. Click on it. It's an Amazon banner. It takes you to Amazon. We get a little commission from what you buy. No cost to you. So that's our plug on that. Yes, and follow us on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. If you're already following us, post our links on your friends' walls, post on your status, that kind of thing. Just just get the word out there. Get people listening to us. We love getting new listeners. feels good when we see our like number climb up. It does, and it's moving slowly. So if you, if you hear slowly. this and you haven't hit like, like, it takes two seconds. But speaking, actually, of social media, I've become, a in the past one week, a social media guru i like to consider myself now god i wish i had a soundboard right now <laughs> so i could play like a tippany or something <laughs> what's a tippany it's the thing goes <laughs> oh that, that was terrible that, that noise <laughs> i got a new job everybody i actually go to work at long hours but it's awesome i'm working at living social it's the coolest place on the planet so 
make sure you check that out. That's my plug for them. But they're not paying us. They're just paying me directly. I was just going to say, is there uh, some advertising money in this? Or is that uh, the kindness of your own heart? It's it's kindness. And nice. it's want my end. But for that reason, I was not able to make this interview. This isn't going to be a, a common thing. I will be trying to keep up with interviews and everything. But it was my first week and everything. So in Chris's absence, we have a somewhat familiar voice on the show. Oh, yeah. He was here before. Yep. yep. He helped interview Seth Godin. And now he's helping interview Cameron Harold, Matt, one of our buddies from James Madison University, and he's in the area with us. I think it's funny how both times he's been in an interview, he won't do the intro-outro with us. Kind of Bush League. Yeah, evidently he had to golf today or something. Yeah, it was like 60 degrees in January. But so anyways, John and Rolly interviewed Cameron Harold. He will be our guest for this episode. Cameron Harold, he wrote a book called Double Double. Rolly is the one who actually introduced him to us. We love it when our friends, family, followers say, hey, go check this guy out. Cameron Harold came and spoke to Matt's company. Matt works for a small IT type company. And what he does is he's a an entrepreneurial coach, right? So he helps these small businesses and things like that in their operations and all these crazy things. And he's like a guru, which we like to think everybody we have on is. Right. He started the company Back Pocket COO, and he is the CEO and entrepreneur coach and speaker, as you mentioned. Yeah. And one of the things is Cameron is a he, he's a coach. I mean, this is what he does. A motivational speaker. He's an advice giver and he has a, a background to back it up. And it's cool that we get somebody like that on the podcast because that's all we're asking for is professional advice. So if you do that for a living. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I actually, you know, asked him a couple personal questions and really appreciated the the answers that he gave me. Yeah. So we're going to turn it over to Cameron here in a minute. You know, I didn't, as I said, I didn't get to interview him, but I did listen to the interview and, you know, special thanks to Rolly and, and Roach. Thanks for doing that. It's awesome. I These are some of the, we've had some of the best guests recently. It's only getting better. I'm so excited, but Uh, So sit back, enjoy Cameron, and let us know what you think. All right, Cameron, I wanted to thank you, uh, first of all, for for being on the show. I wanted to ask you just to go into your background a little bit, explain to us how you got to where you are, what it is you do. There's a lot of our listeners that either may not have heard of you or have only heard a little bit about you, and I want to give you an opportunity just to uh, to give them your spiel. So maybe um, maybe a couple couple minute helicopter tour of my past, and so really got my formal business training with a company called College Pro Painters. Um, I don't know if you know of the brand, but it's the world's largest residential house painting company. We had 8,000 painters, and I was in the top 30 or 40 people running the company in North America. Um, so that was where I got a lot of my real business training. I also had run businesses through high school and, and even little entrepreneurial ventures as a child as well. So I knew I was always hardwired to be entrepreneurial. After College Pro, I joined a family friend and we built out a chain of auto body collision repair shops. And I headed up the franchising wing for him. I left right as we were taking the company public and uh, was hired on as president of a private currency company. We built up that barter exchange and sold that barter exchange to a U.S. public company. And I left there and joined my best friend who had started a little business called The Rubbish Boys. And he was turning the brand from The Rubbish Boys into 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And he wanted to franchise that business. And because I'd already built two franchisors and had been very, very successful at it, I decided I would coach him behind the scenes for three months 
Um, as it turned out, six and a half years later, I was still there and, as the chief operating officer, and I helped take the company from uh, about 12 franchises when I joined to 330 when I left, and we grew it from $2 million to $126 million. We had no debt, no outside shareholders. We were profitable every year, and we ranked as the number two company in Canada to work for and twice ranked number one in British Columbia. So that started to get me some, um, I guess, building three or four companies and, and doing quite well with all of them started to get me a little bit of um, FaceTime with the press, and I started being asked to do speaking events. I've since become one of the top-rated lecturers at MIT's Entrepreneurial Master's Program, and I've done paid speaking events in 18 countries. Um, in fact, I leave tomorrow to do a seven-city speaking tour in India. So I've been doing speaking to groups of entrepreneurs and coaching and mentoring entrepreneurs. And then about a year ago, I, I uh, launched my first book called Double Double, which is effectively the, the tools to help entrepreneurial companies double their revenue and profits in three years or less. Awesome. Now, I, wa- I wanted to jump into your book, Double Double, but before we do so, I had a couple questions real quick. For those of us that go to work every day, it might be a mundane consulting job that might, may or may not be somebody who's sitting here right now talking to you. What advice do you have for these people that want to be creative but might not do so on a day-to-day basis? Wow. I, I guess I would, I would really start going back to what you loved doing as a kid and what you hated doing as a kid and start to move yourself towards that, either into a, a less mundane job and a more exciting job or a company that gives you more free time and more freedom um, to either be creative or to lead or to, to kind of express yourself. It's interesting, as a child, when I was about seven or eight years old, I was doing public speaking and, and winning public speaking competitions as a young child. And amazingly, nobody said, wow, this guy's a good speaker. You know, they told me to get a tutor in French and a tutor in science. And sure enough, I, I'm still terrible in French and science. Um, but I think if, we, if you can identify what you love doing as a kid, you can start building out some great strengths as an adult. So I think if, you, if people want to be creative and want to have more fun in their jobs, start looking at the stuff that you really did love as a, as a team and start eliminating those things, the other things, from, from your day-to-day. You know, I've, I've always hated small group networking. I've always been very nervous about it. Um, I, I would rather stand in front of 1,000 people than go to a cocktail party with 20. So I just built a business that involves no going to cocktail parties with 20 people. Um, hmm. You know, I kind of build it around what, you, what you've always loved. Now, you mentioned when you were a kid that you were a great public speaker and you were looked at as being, oh, he needs tutoring and math and science and the other stuff, and they weren't focusing on what you did well. And we, we've talked to a couple of people on the podcast that, that have spoken about the education system and how the education system really needs to evolve now in terms of the way that it is structured and being less of that military discipline where you're, you know, you go from elementary school, middle school, high school, college, get your job, try to become a director, that kind of thing, where people that want to be entrepreneurs, even at a young age, there really is no focus in in the current education system with the way that it's structured. What would your suggestions be for, you know, the current education system and getting it structured so that kids like yourself can thrive? Yeah, it's interesting. I actually did a talk that's on TED.com. Um, so I did a TED talk on raising kids to be entrepreneurs instead of lawyers. I guess the, the thing that I would say to, this, to, to people listening is I don't think we can change the school system, or it's certainly nothing that I'm going to try to spend time with. I'm, I'm more about trying to hack my education outside of or in spite of the school system. You know, so I, I don't think that it's that smart for a lot of students to go to 
high school and university and try to get straight A's because at the end of the day, no one gives a shit. Um, there's not a single employer out there who's or no banker or no lawyer who's ever going to ask you what your transcript looked like. So after you turn 22, 23 years old, your grades never matter. What does matter is, you know, what clubs were you involved in? Did you lead other people? Can, can you can you work with and, and deal with other projects? And so I would I would tell people in their education is to get involved in everything. Get involved in the clubs, the fraternities, the student government. Try to learn how to learn, but don't worry about trying to memorize stuff because the reality is by the time you need it, it's either going to be A, outdated, or just Google the heck out of it and you'll figure it out. Like the, why... Why did we spend all this time memorizing textbooks on marketing when it's all available? Or you can just open the darn textbook and read it when you need to know that information. What was the point of memorizing it all? So I'm, I'm less of a fan of the current system and more of a fan of, of kind of hacking our education. I think students today would learn a lot more, unless you're trying to become a, an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer or something very specific. If you're just trying to be a generalist, I think you should go out and work for some great companies that are best companies to work for, best managed companies, you know, best culture. Just go and work there. Take take jobs that are less less than you want to get paid, but make that your education instead of going to some university and, and coming out with massive student debts and a transcript that no one's ever going to ask for. And what would you say to those listeners who are in that time period in their life right now where they're getting a lot of pressure to make those grades? Would you just say, hey, go out there, get involved, and you know, show those results of what can happen when you are so involved? I would, I would tell them to ask the people who are pressuring them to get the grades, why the pressure? You know, is it because is it you didn't get good grades or is it because you think that this is what employers are looking for? Because I can tell you, having been an employer, we never look. We never ask. In fact, if somebody walked in to try to get a job with me and had a 4.0 grade point average and was involved in nothing at university, I wouldn't hire them because the reality is I need somebody who's more social, who's more able to be part of a team who's more able to get along with other people. I don't want somebody who's going to sit in their, you know, sit at home all day long working. I need someone who's going to be out and, and kind of part of the rest of the company. You know, and again, I'm talking about less general, you know, education. So if, if you have to go and become a scientist or a doctor, then, you know, yeah, I imagine you've got to study a little bit more. Somebody's out there taking, you know, sociology and, you know, general business courses, no one's going to care. On the tail end of some of those notes, um, what would you say are some, some top hints you're uh, utilizing right now for personal productivity for those people who are you know, in the workplace and trying to get some, some quick nuggets of information to take to heart and, and really utilize? Um, one of them is that it, it's not about getting everything done. It's about getting the critical few things done. I think too often people are so worried about you know, getting through every email and having the zero inbox. And The reality is what you should be doing is waking up every morning and thinking to yourself, what are the top five things I need to get done today? What are the top five really impactful things I need to get done in whatever role you're in, whatever your, whatever your job is, um, even in your personal life, what are the top five things you need to do? And then start working on item one. And then when you get it done, start working on item two. And maybe at 11 or 12 o'clock, go check your email. So I think around personal productivity, it's, it's, it's really more about focus than anything else. It's about, as Jim Collins said, it's about the critical few things versus the important many things. I mean, this is going to be a very personal thing. Like I mentioned going to a mundane job and there's other things that I do, especially with this podcast where I can be creative and have my creative outlet. And I enjoy, you know, doing the audio editing, the image editing for the website and all that kind of stuff. What I'm looking for is advice or maybe even that push to to go out and, and figure out what to do because I really don't know exactly what I want to do. 
I have an idea. I don't know if I can, you know, build an income around it. But what would your advice be for for people who are looking to take risks and just just go ahead and jump? If you love your job, but you just don't love the company or you love certain aspects of your job, it's very easy to start freelancing around the stuff that you love. Um, it's very easy to sell yourself when you love those certain key roles. You know, at the end of the day, there's lots of things I like about business, mm-hmm. but the two things I love about business, I love speaking to groups of entrepreneurs and I love coaching CEOs. Outside of that, I like a lot of things in business. So what I've done is I've built revenue streams that only are attached to the things that I love to do, and I've eliminated. I just don't do the stuff that I like to do. I either outsource it or I don't do it or I hire an assistant to do it for me. But at the end of the day, it's not about you know, it's not about loving everything. It's about trying to build something around the, the key things that you love. And that, that tends to be where those hyper-successful people are, is they're just doing the two or three things that they're amazing at and they love doing. And frankly, they do it for free, except the kids like to eat. You know, that's the position that I'm in right now, where I don't have that responsibility of family and children. And there's a lot of things that I would want to do for free because I love to do them, but also at the same time, I realize that I have to pay my rent, have to pay to eat and all that kind of stuff. So I've just been trying to slowly figure out how to go you know, through this process and, and actually make the transition from, from a job that I enjoy parts of, but don't truly love. Yeah, I'll tell you, I, I went through this process a few, a few years ago, about four years ago. And um, what I did was I actually started making lists. And I still have a little book today, and, and it was a series of about five or six lists. Um, one list was, what do I love and what do I hate? Another one was, what am I passionate about and you know, what drives me crazy? Another one was, what am I really good at and what do I suck at? Um, and I made a list of every, every project that I'd ever, or sorry, every business area I'd ever led. So marketing, sales, PR, accounting, blah, blah, blah. I listed out all these business areas. And then for every business area, I listed every single project I could remember being involved with or having led. And from that, I started to to realize some of my strengths. And then I did a timeline of my entire business career, year by year, a series of the high points and low points. And then from taking a series of high points and the stuff that I'd really loved doing and the projects that I was really good at and engaged in, I started being able to craft, you know, the next stage of my career. And I think if people would spend time on that, they'd realize that, they often end up in jobs that involve them doing stuff they hate. Like if you don't like going to meetings, start crafting a role for yourself that involves you never going to meetings. It is possible. What would you say to those people who are uh, enjoying the work that they do and very consumed in it and um, so consumed some points where it's they're, they're getting out of balance between work and life? Um, I know you talk a little bit about it in your book. Could you expand upon strategies that are helpful to, to really create that work-life balance? I realized years ago again was that you'll never get it all done at the end of the day to, to say to yourself you know I'll, I'll take more free time for myself when I get this done the reality is you'll never get it all done because you'll keep adding stuff to your list it's kind of like it's kind of like trying to, to get to the horizon the closer you get to it it keeps moving further and further away so I think people have to live a little bit for today and and enjoy them enjoy the time that we've got today and enjoy you know enjoy time with our friends today and start scheduling that stuff in. Uh, it's about putting those big rocks in your calendar first. So as an example, I have two children that are, are 8 and 10, and I love spending time with them, but I have to work. So what I do is I put all of my kids' activities for the year into my calendar. I put their swimming in, their cubs in, their, their uh, baseball in, their ski lessons. I put their school activities, their personal development days at school. I put everything in my calendar a year in advance, and then I organize my year around that. 
you know, if it's if it's my days to have the kids and I'm taking them to school in the morning or picking them up at school, I block that time in my calendar and I book my business stuff around that. So I think that's something that, that even people who don't have kids should be doing is start blocking time off to go go and have fun. I mean, I have a friend who, if it skis at Whistler more than 12 inches, he cancels everything and goes. And he's literally set his business up that way that he's told his clients, look, if I've got a call with you and I wake up in the morning and there's been 12 inches of snow at Whistler, trust me, I'm going to be driving to Whistler and I will call you and cancel it or we can do the phone call, but I'm going skiing. So as long as he sets those expectations up with people, everybody's kind of cheering him on going right on. I wish I was you. Same thing with vacation time. You know, you really do have to schedule the vacation time and, and, and take it and, and honor the fact that uh, you're taking that time. I read a statistic the other day that there's more information in one year of the New York Times than was created over the last 5,000 years in total. Wow. Well, think about all the other information in the Internet that's, that's out there, people trying to keep up with it all with bloggers and Twitter and Facebook. And the reality is you're getting sucked into this vortex of busy instead of being sucked into a vortex of having a good time and enjoying your life. I'm kind of, frankly, I'm getting tired of people going, how are you doing? Oh, I'm busy, I'm busy. Like, what are you so busy with? I wanted to ask you about that. What are your thoughts on on Facebook and and Twitter? Are you you involved with reaching out to people on that, or do you see it as a complete time suck? Um, I'm very active in both for very strategic reasons. I'm proactively building my brand as an expert in um, helping businesses grow, and I'm, and I'm very, very comfortable with people knowing the real Cameron. Like, there's no game face for me. I swear a little bit more than I should, and I'm trying to work on that. I think I've sworn once already in our call. I'm comfortable with people knowing that I'm getting divorced. I'm comfortable with people knowing who I am. So I'm using Facebook and Twitter as a very proactive way to connect with all of these entrepreneurs around the world that I've met that hire me and buy my product. And, and that's one thing I absolutely love about you is um, is the fact that you are real. And, you know, I think the old style of management was, you know, you have to come to work and put on a different face and you're a different person than you are at home. And even though, you know, we hear from, from Jack Welch and other big uh, business minds that use candor in the work environment, it's still the old style of management was, it was really to put on that different face. And I see with a lot of the things that you talk about and, and just your, your, your speaking uh, in general is that you are real. And I think that really captures the audience audiences of this generation yeah I, I think the, I think Gen Y especially just sees through all the crap and partially they see through it because their parents told them it was crap you know the baby boomers who had to endure these years of the corner office and dress for success and you know all the protocols and the hierarchy basically said to their kids don't follow this shit like Right, go right into that CEO's office and tell him what you think. And in fact, if you don't go, I'm going to call him for you. <laughs> um, so, so Gen Y is, has kind of uh, grown up with not respecting authority because their parents told them not to. Um, and and it's, it's kind of intriguing. And then they've also realized that, you know, that, that, that just putting your core values on paper is crap unless you live them. You know, unless you're willing to fire somebody for your core values, those are core values are aspirational values. So you're right. The whole way of doing business and the way of, of approaching business today uh, has completely changed. And I think there is something to be said for just being ourselves, um, you know, trying to always work on being our best selves, but just being ourselves. Okay. I want to touch on a little bit of, of information that you talk about in the book, and we don't want to give away too much of it, but um, definitely want to touch on the painted picture. Can you just give a high, high level view of, of what that concept is to our, our listeners? Sure. The idea of the painted picture was something that I learned from an uh, Olympic coach. He's a high-performance sports psychologist who um, 
worked with athletes to get them to visualize themselves in the moment of their event so they could literally see and feel themselves performing the event at that time. And then what would happen is when they were actually performing the event, they were able to act completely on instinct because they could see and feel it so vividly. So he asked us to, to try to figure out how to do that in business. Effectively, what you do is you kind of go into a virtual time machine three years out from now. So let's say it's December 31st, 2014, and describe every aspect of your business or describe every aspect of your life, describe every aspect of your, you know, what you, what you see yourself doing and feeling like. Um, so when you describe it in this vivid detail in a three- or four-page description, then you can take that description and come back to today and say, okay, well, that's what the future looks like. How does it happen? What do I do to make each of those sentences come true? That's effectively how I've built every business is get a very, very strong vision of the future, share that with everyone, share it with your suppliers, your customers, your employees, your potential employees, get everybody visualizing and seeing the same end result that you can see, and then sit down and figure out the strategic plan as to how you're going to make it happen. How do you advise getting those, um, I like to call them like wise dogs in the organization or those that have been there for you know, 10, 15, 20 years, how do you get them to buy into um, the new vision or the new painted picture that, that you're painting for the organization? Yeah, they either buy in or they have to leave. And, and <laughs> it's better that people know what the future looks like and decide if that feels something exciting for them or if it repels them. If it repels them, it's great. Like, go get a job somewhere else. It's okay. Steve Jobs used to show the wooden prototype of the Macintosh to potential employees, and he said if he couldn't see the sparkle in their eye, he didn't bring them in for an interview to see if they had the skills because he didn't care if they had the skills. So if they weren't passionate and vibrating about the future, he didn't care if they had the skill sets to help make it happen. You talk a lot about the structure of meetings, and one problem that I'm trying to uh, to tackle with my firm right now is you know, how to structure management meetings. So, you know, we we have a bunch of highly paid um, uh, executive level people in a room uh, for you know hour and a half, two hours every week. Uh, how do we structure those meetings so that um, there's actionable items that come out of it, and it's worth the time that's spent? Or, um, let me let me answer that question a second because I just had a quick thought that I want to share. If anyone wants the information on the painted picture, they can actually get a copy of it. Um, chapter one of my book is on my website for free. So if anybody wants to grab a copy of that, the website address is doublethebook.com, and they can get chapter one, which really does cover the whole idea of the painted picture um, in detail. Related to your question about meetings, um, I cover that in, in a fair amount of detail in the, in the book as well, but I'll walk you through the, the core parts of it. You really need to establish a set of meeting rhythms that cover this, the specific parts of your business that, that you need to be focusing on. So it starts off with strategy and, and really putting time in your calendar to be strategic. And then you need time to actually look at your metrics and look at your dashboard, your KPIs. So, so that becomes part of your weekly meeting. Um, you need time to have all the business areas update everybody else as to what they're working on. So that, again, becomes part of your weekly management meeting. Um, you need time to be coaching your employees. So you put a system in place to spend time coaching each of your direct reports one-on-one on a weekly basis. And then I'm a, a huge fan of the daily huddle. We learned this concept from a guy named Vern Harnish. Um, and the idea with the daily huddle is an all-employee stand-up meeting that happens for seven minutes somewhere in the middle of the day where you're sharing good news and missing systems and key numbers. Um, and that daily pulse is something that really helps drive the business forward. You just mentioned Vern Harnish, and it's it's a shame that Chris can't be here right now, and he's actually at work, but Chris actually worked for Vern. I think he lived about seven houses down from him, or yeah. currently still does. Yeah, he lives in the same neighborhood as Vern. Yeah. Vern's had a huge impact on, on um, the businesses that I helped build. 
at my firm, we have fully adopted the Rockefeller habits, the daily huddles, um, that stuff. So definitely agree with, with having that pulse and that rhythm of the organization to make sure you're, uh, you have effective communication. No, and I'm not sure if I answered your question, though, on the meetings again. So maybe just recap for it for me. Sure. So, I mean, what, what I'm finding now is that, you know, we get our, our team of, of executive managers in, in a room for an hour and a half every week, and it becomes this brainstorming session. And what I have been tasked with is to figure out a better way to, to structure that meeting. And I know you can read a whole bunch of information out there about how to, how to structure these meetings, but I really want to get something that's inspiring. We are a very small company, about $4 million. I want to get something that, that's palatable and, um, and actionable as a structure. So the weekly meeting is a group of your key people and you're, it's basically brainstorming and coming up with ideas? It's become that. Yeah, we used to have structure and then it's, it's really become this, this rock busting uh, or to brainstorm different ideas. And, and my point is that, you know, you have a, um, a group of highly paid individuals who are extremely smart that if we had the, the appropriate structure, we could accomplish a lot of things if we had that time much more focused. So the, so the way that, that our meet, weekly meetings would, would always work, and this has worked in three different companies, is you take your key team, you get them all together for 90 minutes. The first 30 minutes, you look at the dashboard, and all you do is review the numbers as a team. You look at the key numbers, you discuss the key numbers, you debate the key numbers, you talk about what you can do to make those key numbers better. Um, or if you've got a couple of key numbers that you're doing great on, what can you do to leverage those to improve even more? So that's really the, the first part. Um, the, the second part of that is um, each of the people on the leadership team update each other on what they're working on. So everybody kind of shares their top fives for the week. So everybody knows what everybody's doing and how it all relates together. And that's just a huge um, way for, for everybody in the business to be on the same page. And then the third part of it is brainstorming to help unstick areas that people are stuck. So that might be where you guys are spending a lot of your time now, but I'd say that you're probably spending three times as much time on it as you need to. I think if you, if you, um, one of my basic rules around businesses and meetings is book every meeting for 50% of the time that first comes to mind. So if you're getting together and you're going, hey, let's get together for two hours, do it in an hour because you'll always be able to get it done in less time. So that, that might be something that's happening is you might just be spending too much time on the brainstorming instead of spending enough time on a couple of the other core areas. Another thing that's happening in our company is fast, fast growth. And I know you've worked with a lot of different companies in, in the same scenario and trying to figure out how to, to balance um, multiple different facets within the, the organization during fast growth. When do you know when to you know, kind of pull the reins up and, and balance that growth when you have new opportunities come in um, and you feel like you're getting to a point where you might be spreading yourself too thin as a firm and creating you know, unnecessary risk? How, how do you judge that? I, I kind of like the whole strategy from Michael Andretti, the race car driver. He said, when you, know, when, you're going, when you feel like you're going too fast, step on the gas. And basically what happens is you, as you start to accelerate and go even faster, even though you feel like you're going too quickly, if you start going even faster, it'll start showing you the systems and processes that are actually broken, like that are truly broken, um, and you'll start to focus on fixing those. The second thing is that it will open up other opportunities for you. It just will get everybody more hyper-focused. So, so that's my approach is that if, if I, I would just continually try to go faster. I guess that ties into your concept of the flywheel as well. Yeah, the idea with the flywheel is really picking two or three core areas that you're really, really good at and then spending time working on those, working on those, working on those. So as an example, at 1-800-GOT-JUNK, we were really good at two, two areas. We were really good at building an amazing culture 
with this team of people that that you know just worked great together and, and would do everything and, and would you know they they treated the company like it was their own and we were great at building that so so we just kept working on that because we knew that it would propel the company faster and make it more profitable second thing we were really good at was we were great at getting free press we had this amazing knack of getting people to write about us and cover us so we just kept talking to the press and, and we talked to them about anything we were focusing on and they would cover us and that would make yeah. us grow faster so instead of always trying to find something new it was just take the two or three things that you're great at and just keep getting better tiger woods is number one in the world in hitting fairways and regulation and he's number one in the world in greens and regulation he's number 76 in the world in getting out of the sand traps. So what he's realized is he does not spend any time anymore on trying to get out of sand traps. He doesn't practice his sand trap shot at all because he's terrible at it. What he realized was he's really, really good at those two things, so that's where he continues to spend his time. So if, if, if people can do the same thing, right? If you're in a job, find the two or three things that you love, find the two or three things you're great at, and just keep reading about that. You know, instead of reading all these darn business books that people are reading, this is where Vern and I completely disagree. He wants people reading a business book every week. I say that's insanity. I think what you should be doing is taking a look at what's on your calendar for the next 90 days and then reading some stuff that is related to the core projects you're working on. But to read just a business book because it's on the bestseller list, I think is ludicrous. It, it disfocuses people. It gets them excited about the new big shiny object. Um, and it distracts them, and it also it also weighs on their conscience a little bit and makes them feel like they're not doing a good enough job because they're hearing all these new things they should be doing. Yeah, it's the problem of having too much information in that sense. As we mentioned, your book is called Double Double, How to Double Your Revenue and Profit in Three Years or Less. It's an awesome book. I absolutely recommend all our listeners to check it out. You've got a couple videos up on, on TED Talks. Is there anything else that you want to plug, websites, any books coming up, just anything that you want to get out to our listeners? Sure. I guess um, the, the book Double Double is available on iTunes. So it is there um, both in an audio book and as an ebook. Awesome. It's available on Audible. Uh, it's off the website. And I also have a series of DVDs that a lot of entrepreneurial companies are buying, and they can get those from backpocketcoo.com. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I had fun. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that interview. You know, some of you might be doing a startup or struggling with a small business and I'd imagine you got some interesting uh, learning material from that and if not a lot of these things can be taken you know to any different uh, portion of life so hope you enjoyed that and Chris speaking of startups me and you really haven't had a chance to talk about your new job at Living Social man how's yes, it going yes it, it it's crazy if you guys have been following the podcast you've kind of heard about my trials and tribulations about jobs that I have taken for, you know, money or whatever the wrong reasons. Can we get a quick list? No. Uh, it's not that many. I mean, I, I just heard this stat about the average person switches jobs like 15 times now or something. I think it's the average millennial. Okay. Yeah. Us. Yeah. yeah. So this is, I think, my fifth in like six, no, eight years or something. So it's not that bad. But I can say that this is the coolest place I've ever worked. I mean, and it has this startup mentality, which... You know, they say it's like the Silicon Valley company of the East or of D.C. You That's awesome. I mean? Yeah. And it's kind of bizarre. Uh, I'm not used to it. The The CEO is like 30. So 
he came in the other day and did push-ups. Like somebody was like, "Hey, how many push-ups can you do?" And he, in a suit, just like got down, busted out like fifty push-ups. Just straight up push-up competition, yeah. or just he was challenged, so he did. Somebody cha- like if you challenge him because their motto is uh, live hungry and make strong moves and just be a like just be crazy and do stuff. You should challenge him to give you a million dollar salary. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good good thought, but it's really cool, and I'm excited to be there. You know. I'm excited to go to work for the first time, I think, in the history of mankind. So, it's cool. Well, that's pretty awesome, man. Congratulations. And um, that doesn't mean that you guys don't have to buy off of our <laughs> Amazon page anymore, though. We still still completely depend on the listeners to, to keep this up and running. And again, we appreciate <laughs> that's what you did in December. That was awesome. That's true. That's true. And also, most importantly, maybe Facebook, but for me personally, is... You know, just go to iTunes real quick, please, and rate us, hopefully a a lot of stars, and a comment. It helps, and we want to get the word out there, and that's one of the ways to do it. Yeah, it helps move the show up the charts on iTunes, helps people find out about the show, that kind of stuff, and it's cool when when we see ourselves on those front pages of iTunes. Hasn't happened in a while. Yeah, and hopefully we're not asking too much. I mean, we're trying to—I feel like we bring some good information, some good guests— People that I never thought I'd be able to talk to. These guys charge a lot of money to speak to people, like at companies and stuff. Oh, absolutely. It's crazy. Yeah. No, it blows my mind. Actually, speaking of an awesome person to talk to and hear from, tomorrow we interview Brene Brown, B-R-E-N-E Brown. And you should Google that and listen to her TED Talk. It is phenomenal. I cannot explain. It's one of those life-changing things I've listened to. So if you've ever heard of her, or if you listen to TED Talk and get inspired, tweet us, Facebook us, email us. Give us a question. We'll be talking to her tomorrow afternoon. See you guys later.